Trek, Trek, Trek. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. So since the microphone's on and works and the music's off, you might as well come on back. How you doing, Kevin? You ready over there? Good. All right. Hey, let me just uh, run over a couple things real quick that, that Tammy mentioned. And not that she doesn't do a wonderful job. She does do a wonderful job. The way the Coins for Cans works, the, the whole idea is that everybody has change, so you just throw your change in the, in the jar at home. And one thing I thought about, and, and we did things like this when our children were smaller. Now they wouldn't even give up a dime, I don't think. But when they were little, they can participate too. So you can have them, you know, just take the jar home, put it on your table, whatever, throw your change in there. And on the first Sunday of every month, the idea is we'll collect the change. So you don't have to write a check, whatever. Just bring the jar back with the change, and we'll have a basket, and you can just dump in there. We'll take all the change. And then we'll count the change up and add that to our budget for King's Kindness. King's Kindness, let me uh, just explain a little bit the way that our relationship with Oregon Food Bank works, because it really is, uh, I, I think it's helpful for you guys to have an understanding. It, it really is a kingdom-principled relationship. In, in that, you know, the kingdom of God, the way it works is the, the more you give, the more God gives you, the more you get, so that you have more to give, right? You understand that? You give, and you get, and you give, and you get. And that's the way it works with the Oregon Food Bank. The more food we give, the more we get. And the more that we get from outside of Oregon Food Bank, the more that they give us to give. So they're really impressed with our food drives lately and the way that we've been bringing so much food in. And, and, and I've shared with you guys a little bit, but just so you understand, I'm sure you, I, I know you've all seen the little news reports. There's something all the time on the hunger in, in our state and how that's going up. And Oregon Food Bank runs out of food, believe it or not. I mean, it's a massive warehouse. And sometimes I go in there, there's just no food. And uh, it's funny, there's a, the big cooler room is... I don't think it's as big as this room, but it's almost as big as this room. And typically, Mike and I go there on Tuesdays, and it's just stacked. There's a whole row of dairy products, and then a whole big thing of, of produce, and then a whole big thing of bread. In the last few weeks, we walk in there, and it's virtually empty. There's nothing in there. And so they are really, really appreciative of us being able to get food in from other sources, and then the more that we are able to do that, the more that they then give us. And so that's why we got the $500 grant for the garden. So what we're really looking for in the garden is just somebody that would say, hey, I'll take that project on, and we'll, we'll give you 500 bucks, and you can go buy starters or veggies or however you want to do it, and, and we'll help you. There's, it'll be a team effort, but somebody that would kind of oversee that. And then the food drives, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken... We are full this month. Shane, are you doing April or March? Do, when, when, what do you know? This month, now, right now. So I don't believe we have anybody lined up for April yet. So if you have an organization, your school, your work, anyone that you think would participate, we'd love to have you do that for, for April. So anyway, that's how that's all working, and it is a joy and a blessing, and, and we are blessed by all these different ways that all of you are participating. And not only are we blessed, but the folks that come for food are blessed as well. And it's always great when we have food to give them. The worst days for me are the days when we run out of food. When towards the end of the day, we have a huge turnout, and I look at 
Michael, uh, Michael Jordan is usually in the warehouse, and I kind of look at him, and I can tell by the look on his face, we're running out. Things are going low. And so those are the worst days. I love it when we have lots of food, and everybody that comes at the end of the time gets just as much food as the folks that came at the beginning of the time. So, all right. We have been now for, I think, two or three weeks talking about healing. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, I, I talked a little bit about why not everyone that we pray for gets healed. And um, is, it, is that accessible? Can, to Kevin, can that information be gotten anywhere? Can they, is, no? No, the, the tape from last week. The, the, it is. Not yet, but it will be available. Okay, because I thought it was an important message. To me, uh, it, it was meant, sometimes when you say, well, we're going to talk about why people don't get healed, it, you know, it's not intended to be, it wasn't a cop-out or an excuse. What it really was intended to be was an encouragement, an encouragement for us to press in and to continue to pray and continue to ask God to bring healing and release healing among us, even though not everyone we pray for gets healed, and even though we may know that not everyone we pray for is going to get healed, we'll press in anyway. And, you know, I, I went through uh, s- sort of how that all works a little bit, and there are a number of different variables in healing, and at the end of the day, the, the answer really is we don't know why not everyone gets healed. It, it could be any one of a number of things, but it, it really is, I think, for us theologically treading on thin ice when we begin to say in any specific situation, this is why this person wasn't healed. And so it might be any one of a number of things. We don't know why. But one of the variables, one, one of the factors that's really so vital in terms of healing is the whole idea of faith. We know faith is really essential for someone to be healed. And we looked at a number of verses, and we see throughout the Gospels Jesus saying that not once or twice, but over and over. You know, your faith has made you whole. By your faith, you're healed. Um, you know, be it done according to your faith. And he says this repeatedly. And so we come away with the idea that faith really is a very very important aspect and dynamic that takes place in healing. We know, I think, uh, I'm, I'm sure as, as Christians, if you've been involved in this for any length of time at all, how important faith really is, not only just to healing, but to everything that we're about. Um, it's, it's challenging at times to uh, do what Scripture continue, continually tells us to do, to live by faith, not by sight, isn't it? Sometimes we like Seeing is believing. We like to see. We like to know that things are there. We can grab them and get a hold of them. And living by faith isn't always easy. Um, we're saved by faith, right? We, we know, we, we're, we're believing that God's hand is on our lives and that we're with him. We're believing that by faith. And Hebrews tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. So we come away with the understanding that faith is important. Faith is really the essence and the nature of what it means for us to be Christians, at the, at the heart and soul of, of what that means to, to live as a Christian, to, is to walk by faith, to, to live in faith. And so uh, I want to I do this. I want to tonight, I, I, and I, I warned you a little bit. I said last week I was going to do this. I want to talk about faith. And I want to talk about faith, uh, first of all, specifically as it relates to healing but it's impossible to separate faith for healing out from 
the bigger picture phase. So we'll, we'll kind of cover both of those things a little bit and then try to really bring it in and, and focus on faith for healing. And I want to talk about faith in the context of the kingdom of God. I, I have come to the conclusion in my journey that without an adequate understanding of the kingdom of God, nothing else makes sense. And Scripture doesn't make sense without understanding the kingdom of God. And I don't think without an understanding of the kingdom of God, we can really grasp what faith is. Because the kingdom is the environment that faith works in. That, that's, that's where it's active. That's, that's how it's alive and real. So what I'm going to try to do, and I, and I also said this last week, it'll probably be inadequate. So be nice. Uh, but I'm really going to tr- try to share uh, how faith works tonight in the context of the kingdom of God. And that may be a little different than, than any way that you've ever heard it put before. So just pray with me for a moment, if you would, that I can try to make sense of all this, and we'll see what happens from there, okay? Uh, Lord, uh, we're so blessed by uh, your word and thankful for it and thankful that you have given us the word of God to guide us and lead us and teach us and help us. And we ask for understanding tonight that you would grant us uh, eyes to see, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know you better and understand your word in a deeper way and that it would have uh, meaning and purpose in our lives, that it would resonate in, in our very beings and that it would help us to be the people you've called us to be and to do as we sang tonight and reflect your glory in all that we are and all that we say and all that we do. So open our hearts to receive from you now. And uh, we, we trust you with this time and ask you to lead us and guide us in it. In your name we pray. Amen. So as a, uh, as a church, as, as a body, as a local expression of, uh, you know, the, the people of God in the world today, uh, we are a community of faith. That's what binds us together. That's the thing that we have in common. And I was actually, in a very humorous way, uh, I was chuckling to myself this week, thinking about this because I realized that aside from that, many of us would probably not ever relate to one another at all. That we really, in, in many ways, are quite different from one another. And we have different thoughts and ideas and different um, hobbies and different interests and, and different careers and, and all sorts of different, even, you know, maybe philosophies of, of family life and stuff like that. And, and we, we might not ever connect with one another. We might not even want to hang out together. But faith has drawn us together. And I thought, you know, that's cool because faith trumps all that other stuff. The thing that we have in common, even if we don't have anything else in common, and you guys know this, you've experienced this, you run into people maybe in different places, you know, in different arenas, different parts of the world, and you find out that person is a Christian, you have faith together, and you go, awesome, we, we connect, we have something. And you maybe don't have anything else in common, but you have that, and, and that's huge, and you love that, and you're thankful for it. And sometimes you, you know, you hug that person, and you do something, you pray together, whatever, because you have a common faith. And it, it binds our hearts together. That's what we have in common. That's, look, that's why we're here, right? We wouldn't be here if we didn't have faith. We would be somewhere else. 
We would be home. We would be watching TV. We'd be outside. We'd be doing, we wouldn't be here. We come together because of our faith. That's what we have in common. That's what binds us. We have a like faith. Now, we don't probably, eh, let's just say for sure, we don't all agree on every little detail. We don't, we don't all, you know, all, the, all those little finer points of theology, we don't agree on all those. That's okay. It doesn't matter. We, we have faith. And, and I think what matters is the faith we have in common. We all have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We all have faith that people need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is, in fact, that Savior. We all have faith that God is love and God is loving and God loves us and God loves all of us and we rally together around that. We have faith that there is <coughs> hope for every person in the world, no matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done, what they've been through, how far they've fallen, any of that. It doesn't matter. There is hope that God will stretch out his arm and redeem that person and draw them back to him. We have that, that in common. We have faith for that. We have faith that the kingdom of God is advancing and that we are participants in that advancement. Thanks, man. That's so good. And I, it's in a bottle, so I know where it came from. It's been the joke lately. Where does the water come from? Paul goes and gets water out of the toilet and brings it to me. He would never really. You wouldn't do that, would you? You might do that, actually. He's nodding. He would do that. This was an important part right here. Um, not, not, not only do we have faith that the kingdom of God is advancing and that we are participants in that process, we have faith that ultimately God's kingdom will win back the entire world for God, that he will reign, that his love, his peace, his joy will be manifest in the world in its fullness, and that the world will be as God intended it to be. Now, we have, we have faith for that. It's not that way now, is it? It's, it's not even close. It's, it's, uh, it's a mess. But we have faith that one day it will be that way. And uh, that really does unite us and brings us together. And I'm, I'm blessed by just that, that fact alone. That doesn't mean, you know, again, doesn't mean we have it all together as opposed to those other people out there who don't have it all together. It, it doesn't mean that we're good, that we're better. It doesn't mean that we're holier than thou or thine or thee or Joe or anybody else. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that we have, our opinions are the right opinions, that we have the inside scoop on politics and how it's supposed to work and <laughs> that we understand how foreign policy should be and who should be allowed in and who shouldn't be allowed in, what wars we should fight and shouldn't fight, uh, any of that. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean we have it all figured out, that we have all the answers. It, it, it just means this. This is what we have. We have, we have faith, and we understand that faith in Christ is, is kingdom faith. It's, 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 a, it's a faith that the kingdom of God, God's domain, God's rule and God's reign, wherever, wherever God reigns, wherever his presence and his power is, that in that place, in that moment, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. There's all sorts of ways that that manifests. Uh, when, we, 
we're talking about healing. And when we pray for somebody to be healed, God's kingdom comes into that person's heart and that person's life at that moment. When we simply are kind and loving towards somebody else because we know that that's what Jesus would have us do, God's kingdom comes in that moment and his will is in that place, in that person right then being done here on earth as it is in heaven. When, when, when we uh, give food away, God's will is being done. His kingdom is coming into the hearts and lives of those people right there now in this place. When we worship, when we lift our hands and we sing, when we pray and we trust God to answer those prayers, all of those are expressions of God's kingdom and will being done here and now the way that it's supposed to be and the way that it will be in in heaven. When Jesus came into the world, and, and I would say still today, the kingdom of God, and God's, God is not and the primary, it's not God's domain. It's, he's not, not in charge. He's not ruling. In this life, in this world, and so much of what we see around us is under the domain of Satan. He is the sort of reigning influence. He, and, and, you know, the world has been, if you will, kind of invaded. Satan has, has sort of taken the world hostage. He's sort of, it's been seized by hostile forces and they're hostile to God and they're hostile to everything God loves. God loves us and so, guess what? Those forces are hostile to us. They, they don't like, uh, like it when things go well in our lives. They want us to be disrupted. They want us to have the week that Sean had and I think maybe some of the rest of us, I had that same week. Um, so, not exactly the same, but, but I think they like that. They want to disrupt us. They want to throw us off course. They want to break families apart. They want to disrupt relationships. They want to do all of that. If you wonder ever, if you, I mean, I, I know you guys do. You, you watch the news, you see stuff, and you go, why? Why is it so screwed up? Why is there so much pain and strife? Why is there so much injustice? Why do kids take guns to school and shoot people? I don't get it. I don't understand. It's because we've been taking, it's a siege. We're under the dominion and the control of forces that are hostile to God. And Jesus said, I, I'm coming into this world to stop that, to disrupt that, to stop that flow, to change the direction of that, and to establish a domain, a place where I am king and what I say goes. That's what he came here to do. Jesus was the incarnation, the, you know, the embodiment of the kingdom of God. He's a, Jesus is the perfect example of what, a, what it looks like when a human being is immersed and soaked and, and, and just completely saturated in the kingdom of God. What does that look like? That looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. And everything about him, his thoughts, his attitudes... His actions, the way he treats other people, all of those are an illustration to us of what it looks like to be kingdom people. What does it mean to be a kingdom person? I, I, I have the attitudes that Jesus has. I have the thoughts that Jesus has. I act the way Jesus acts. I say things to people that Jesus would say to them, and I treat them with value and care the way that he would do that. And that's really the thing. He's the model, and the Holy Spirit... Through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us all that choose to, that surrender our lives to him, that say, yes, I want that, to, to do that, to duplicate what he did, to do what he did. Ephesians tells us that we are to be, we are to be imitators of God. We follow God's example. 
we, we do what Jesus did. We love the way Jesus loved. We live the way Jesus lived. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look like Jesus individually and corporately, especially I would say corporately. I would say together that we should look more like Jesus even than we do individually. Now, Jesus died for those that crucified him. They, they were, you know, for his actual enemies. He died for them. And that, that was kind of the exclamation point on the life of Jesus. He not only, you know, died for those people, he lived his entire life in service to others. He, he cared for people. He prayed for those that were sick. He loved people. He cared for people. That's what he did, and that's, as his followers, what we are supposed to do. We sacrifice our time, our talent, our money, our energy, our life for those that God brings along our path. That, that's what it means to advance the kingdom. And that's what it means to live a faith-filled life. To live a faith-filled life means to, to live like Jesus lived. That's God's heart. That's God's purpose. That's God's goal. That's his will, is to establish his kingdom first in us, and then once it's in us, to establish it through us into the hearts and lives of others. And when that happens, and when faith begins to take hold and take root in our lives, and, and we, we begin to, to really live by faith and walk by faith and, and live out the faith that God has put in our hearts, it transforms us and it transforms everything about us. It changes everything, everything we are. And it, it begins, let me say this, in our heart. We, I think almost universally, I think the heart is seen as sort of the center of, the, of a person, right? Even if you don't believe in God, your, your heart is sort of your, the, the, the epicenter. That's where things take place. We talk about that. You know, it's where love is. It's where emotion comes from. You have a broken heart. We talk about heart. And God begins by transforming our heart. When his kingdom takes root in our heart, it changes our heart. And the desire, you know, you talk about the desires of, what are the desires of your heart? The desires of our heart actually change. We become less self-oriented and more God-oriented. And we desire the things that God desires. Or it, it probably doesn't really even start with that. It starts with this. And some of you will identify with this. We desire to desire the things that God desires. Right? You ever notice? You ever been in that place where you, you don't really, you, you know that you want to desire what God wants for you, but you really don't. What you really want, what I really want, is what I want. But I know that I sh- I want to want what God wants. Right? You know, anybody following me? You understand that process? That's where it begins. But it grows. It takes root, and it and it begins to 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 change us. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like one day you wake up and all of a sudden you're a different person. You, one day you wake up and you understand that God is real and alive and his kingdom is in you. And it begins this lifelong process that we're all on and that we'll walk through our whole lives continually being transformed. It starts in our hearts with changing our desires and the very nature of who we are. And then it really, I think, it goes from our hearts to our minds. And, we, and it begins to shape the way that we think. It shapes the way we feel and the desires. And then it begins to shape the way that we think. The kingdom of God begins to actually influence our thinking. And we, we know that we're supposed to take every thought captive, right? We take every thought captive to Jesus. Um, but that doesn't all happen overnight either. How many of you have every thought taken captive to Jesus? 
Oh, I don't see any hands. Uh, no, our thinking is being transformed, and more thoughts, how many of you have more thoughts captive to Jesus than you used to have? Yes, now I see those hands. Sure, our, our thinking changes. It's not completely changed, but it's constantly being transformed. And we begin to really think about life and about God in a different way. We begin to think of God for who He really is. And we, get, we begin to really believe God really is good. God really is true. God really is beautiful. God really does love me. Those things are true and they're real. And it changes everything inside of us when we begin to think that. And you know what happens when you begin to think that about God? It changes how you think about yourself, doesn't it? We begin to believe what God says about us instead of what everything else says about us. The world's assessment of us is what most of us have grown up believing, and it has such a huge impact on our lives wherever we are today because we grew up and we believe, well, you're stupid. You're, 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 a, you're a loser. You're, you're this. You're that. You're, you're no good. You'll never add up to anything. And that's the world's assessment for us. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. That's not who you are at all. You are my child. You're precious to me. I love you. I love everything about you. That thing that you think is bad, I created you that way. I love that about you. That's the thing I find the most, the most wonderful and the most exciting about you. And our thinking about ourselves begins to change. And when our thinking about ourselves begins to change, then guess what? Our, our thinking about other people begins to change. And, and we begin to think of other people that same way too. All, all of a sudden, the people that used to just annoy us and bug us, and, and we recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus died for that person too. And that person, and that person, and even that person. God died for that person. He loves them. And we begin to see them differently. And people that maybe at one point in our lives, we just didn't, couldn't tolerate. They, we, had, they had no, we had no place for them. And they just annoyed you. All of a sudden, you see them and you think about them and you feel about them in a way that you've never thought and felt about them before. And that then spills over into our relationships and our relationships begin to be transformed. And... Outside of God, here's the thing. Relationships are founded on what can I get out of this, aren't they? I mean, it really is. Outside of relationship with Christ, it's, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, it, it might be, what can I get out of this deal sexually? And then you go into business and you think, well, what can I get out of this deal financially? And relationships are centered around what do I get? What can, how can I leverage this relationship to get what I need, what I want from this person and the kingdom of God begins to transform those relationships and all of a sudden, they're different. The connection we have with people exists on a whole different level. Our families, our friends, our associates, people around us, we relate to them in a totally different way in Christ than we ever did outside of Him. Even our enemies, we begin to see them and have a desire to relate to people that we maybe perceived as enemies before in a, in a different way than we did. And we change the way that we react towards them. 
We no longer repay evil for evil, but we, we bless those who persecute us. And we desire to, to reach out our hands in the name of Jesus and, and love people who maybe have not been easy to love. So everything is transformed. Everything in life changes when it comes under the influence of the kingdom of God. God says, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do in you, and that's what I want to do through you. And it, it, it begins to transform the world around us. I was talking to my friend, uh, my friend Jeff this week, as I always do. And he shared a story with me that uh, we both were uh, just kind of crying on the phone after he talked to me about it. Um, he, he attends a church in Sacramento, California, that is not a vineyard church, but very similar uh, to, to us and to, to uh, kind of what we stand for and what we believe and what we do. And their church actually does a, uh, it's a, it's a large church. They do a significant ministry to the poor in their community. And uh, in fact, if I understand correctly, he told me that last year, 2011, their church, and I don't know if this was money or actual food or what, but their church actually gave more uh, to people in need than the state of California that they're in, more than the state. That's a big state. That's significant. Um, So much so that they are expanding their facility right now. They're adding a whole new section onto their building to house part of this ministry that they they do for the poor. And they hired a guy, a contractor, to come in and do this building, build this this section of this, do this addition on their building. And they didn't hire the guy because he doesn't go to their church they didn't hire him because he's a Christian or because he gave him a good deal. They hired him because he's a good contractor. He's a reputable guy. Gave him a fair bid, and they hired him. So he comes in. He's working on this building for months, for two or three months, right? And he, well, what are we building here? Well, we're building this wing of our church. This is what we're doing. This. Well, oh, so over the time that he's working on the building, he's hearing more and more and seeing what they do and becoming aware of what it is he's actually working on and He gives his life to Christ. He becomes a Christian. Not because anybody told him he was going to go to hell if he didn't. Not because anybody held up a sign and said, turn or burn. Not because anybody said anything at all to him. Nobody tried to convert him. They just loved people and did what they had always done. And it transformed his heart. The kingdom of God changes everything. So we talk about our hearts and our minds and our relationships, and that brings us to our bodies, our physical bodies. And yes, God cares about our bodies. He cares about how we, God cares about how we feel. He does. He cares about our physical being. God God doesn't just care about our spirit. We, We focus on that. We say, you know, we, we have to evangelize, get people saved we, so they go to heaven. God cares about our spirits, but he cares about every bit of us, every aspect of our life. He cares about our physical bodies. He cares when we're in pain. He cares when we hurt. He cares when we're sick. And if Jesus is our example, if Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom of God, what does it look like for that kingdom to come into our physical beings? It, it looks like healing and wholeness. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes into our physical bodies. It looks like healing and wholeness. Now, okay, 
if you understand the kingdom, we still live in a fallen world. It's not all done yet. We're still going to age. We're going to get older. Our bodies are going to hurt. They're going to make noises that they didn't make when we were younger. I think my children love to come to my house now just to mock me. When I get up, they go, oh, that was funny. You made, you're, you're, you're creaking. You're making noises. You know, they, just, they wait till I get up just so they can laugh. We're still going to get old. Our bodies are still going to deteriorate. We're still going to die. None of that changes. But what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes into a body and heals it is this. God is, this is what happens. God is revealing his heart and, and his kingdom. He's revealing a, a glimpse, really, if you will, an in, a little look. He's opened the door into the future a little bit. And he's saying, what I'm going to do in healing this person right now is, a, is just a, a, a token of what I'm one day going to do completely. That's why we call it a sign. In the, um, yeah, in the Gospel of John, I didn't even know if I forgot some slides or not. Uh, in the Gospel of John and all through the Gospels, it's re- healings are referred to as signs. They're, these are signs. The, the crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had before performed by healing the sick. It, it, it's a sign. And in the book of Acts, we call these things signs and wonders, right? They're signs and wonders. What does it mean that's a sign? It's, a, it, it's, it's an indicator of something that's coming. It's the same word, you know, we sign for something. We get the word signature fr- from the, the word sign. They're the same root. And that's really a great picture for me. When God heals somebody, it's his, he's putting his signature on it. You, know, you, you have to you wrote a check tonight and you put it in the offering, you had to sign it. And, and then if you didn't sign it, I would have to send it back to you and say, you have to sign this. It's no good. Uh, I, I have to sign it to know that this is real. And when you, you know, use your credit card, you pay for something, you have to sign. You sign it. Signatures legitimizes it. it. It authenticates it. It says, this is legitimate. This is real. So when God heals somebody, he's putting his signature on it and he's saying, hey, this is legit. This is real. This is authentic. I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to be doing a lot of. And right now, I'm doing a little bit of it just to give you a picture of it. That's what I want to do. And so he signs it. Take a little drink. Um, In Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking. He talks to Cornelius and he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So that, to me, is really what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to replicate that. God will anoint us the same way that he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. The Holy Spirit and power go together. They're like, they're, the, the, when the Holy Spirit is there, power comes with it, right? That's, the Holy Spirit is the power. When you're it's like plugging it in. It's like the plug-in. When your cell phone is dying, you know, you have, it's, it's red. The little red line is there. It's all that's left. You go, oh, no, my phone is dying. And you plug it in. And what happens when you plug it in? It turns green, but the little lightning bolt shows up, right? You like that? I love the little lightning bolt. It's charged now. It's got power. It had no power. That's like the Holy Spirit. It's the plug-in. He anointed Jesus, and he will anoint us with the Holy Spirit and power so that we, like Jesus, can go around doing good and, and healing. That's our job. We bring healing to sickness. And here's an interesting little side note. This is kind of off the subject. Just a little bit. Jesus was doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. 
and, and you know, in the, in the kingdom of God, and our understanding of the kingdom, we talked about this a little bit last week, disease and sickness is, is the work, the power of the devil. It might be directly or indirectly. It's not always directly. Sometimes a person is, you know, has demonic influence in their life right now. That's making them sick. Sometimes that's not direct, but it's all part of his kingdom that he wants to hold us under. And, and what God wants to do is, is break that off of us. Here's, a, here, here's what I mean by that. This is, I, I find this kind of stuff fascinating. I don't know if you guys like it or not. <laughs> there are about, in the New Testament, four or five different Greek words that are used for sickness. And here, here's one word used three different ways. Now, just, this is just, again, I don't know if you guys can appreciate this. Three different verses. In Luke, it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses. And sicknesses is uh, highlighted there. And evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. Second verse in Mark says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, highlighted. And then the third verse in Mark says, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So three different verses, three words, sicknesses, suffering, and diseases, all referring to physical conditions in a person's body. All three of those are the same word in Greek. And the word is mastix, which literally means that the reason that that picture of that scourge there, that's the thing they whipped Jesus with when he was crucified before he died. That's this word. That's what this word is in Greek. It means to be whipped or flogged. And we are under the domain of Satan. When you get sick, he's whipping you. He's saying, yeah, take that. That's what I want. Ha, bad for you, bad for you. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to bring healing to that. I want to change that. That's what that word is. I found that to be incredibly insightful in terms of just growing understanding of how the kingdom works and God's kingdom takes precedence over the kingdom of Satan in this world. So what God wants to do in the midst of that, he wants to manifest, we've, we've used this language before, the already in the midst of the not yet. The kingdom is not here fully yet, but he wants to give us a little bit of that right now. That's what he's doing. That's what happens when we pray for healing. Oh, man. Okay, I'm almost done. Now you're about to see something you've never seen before, and you may never see again. Are you ready? Here it is. You go, wait a minute, that's a Bible verse. You put Bible verses up there every week. Notice those little letters right there after Hebrews 11.1. KJV, I have never, I don't typically refer to the King James Version of the Bible, but Hebrews 11.1 is one verse that I happen to really like the King James Version. I actually think it's very close to and captures the original meaning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, the Bible talks a lot about faith. There are, I don't know how many, I didn't count them, dozens, maybe hundreds of verses about faith. We, we know that faith is very, very important to our Christian life. We understand some of the things we looked at before. This is the only verse that tells us what faith really is. This is the only definition in the whole Bible. Lots of things talk about faith and what we do with faith and why we need faith. This is the only place that 
tells us what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is, if I hope for something, it's something that has not happened yet, right? It's something that's going to happen. It's something in the future. I, I hope this happens. It's a future reality. Faith is the substance of that hope. Faith is the, here, here's the word, it's, uh, hypostasis is the Greek word, just in case anybody ever asks you. Now you can say, substance in Greek is hypostasis. The definition is a setting or placing under, thing put under, substructure, foundation. That which has foundation is firm. That which has actual existence, substance being real, or this last definition is actually probably the closest for <coughs> this, uh, for, to use in the, in the definition of faith. The substantial quality in nature of a person or thing. So what that means is, I, I have, let's go back, I have, there's substance to my hope. There's, I have confidence, I have a level of assurance that what I hope for is actually going to happen. So we can hope for things all the time that probably aren't going to happen, right? I could say, for example, I hope the Trailblazers are going to win the NBA championship this year. But there's not a lot of substance to that hope. There's virtually nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing, to indicate to me that that might possibly happen. That's a false hope. That hope has no substance. It has no assurance. There's, there's nothing, there's no foundation. There's nothing holding that hope up. There's, there's nothing strong underneath it. But because of what I know about the kingdom of God, because of, of what I know about God's will and God's purpose, because of how God tells us to pray and what He tells us to pray for, I can have confident assurance. I can have their substance, there's foundation, that when I, I, I can hope that healing will happen, and there really is some assurance that that will happen because of everything I know about the kingdom. Now let me say this about faith. Faith is not a psychological certainty. All right, it's not, faith isn't mean that something is 100% absolutely psychologically certain. Sometimes we can be taught, and in some places we will be taught that, that if I doubt, see, faith doesn't totally rule out doubt. Sometimes we're taught if I have any doubt at all, if I have just the slightest little bit of doubt, oh, you don't have any faith. Well, where's your faith? Well, let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest. Faith and doubt coexist. They're not mutually exclusive of one another. How many of you have faith and doubt? We all do. We all have faith and doubt. We, let's, we all are this guy. I believe. Help my unbelief. We're all that guy. We, we have faith and doubt sometimes simultaneously. Sometimes in a given situation, we can have faith and doubt in that exact same moment. I've experienced that a million times praying for people. I'm doing this over and over. I believe, I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. I want to believe so badly. God, I, I know I trust you, but oh, oh, it's so hard. They, they, they coexist. So that's okay. I don't want anybody... I've talked to people before, maybe some of you, who have... I've talked to people who said, I, I, I won't pray for anybody because I don't want my doubt to eliminate the possibility that that person might get healed. I don't want to even come to church anymore because I'm afraid that my doubt is screwing it up for everybody else. 
I mean, I, this is real, and it's funny, but it's not that funny. I don't want you guys to think that. It's okay. It's okay. Faith is not a psychological certainty. Faith and doubt coexist. There's a progression of thought. We want to move forward in our faith. We want to grow in faith and diminish in doubt. That, but that's, that's how this, thing's, this thing works. What faith really is, is this. Faith is conviction or assurance enough to move forward. That's what it really is. It it's, means that I believe this enough that I'm going to act on it. If we have faith, we'll act, right? If I have faith for something, if, if I have faith that I could jump off this cliff and live, I'll do it. If I don't have faith, I won't. You know, if you have let's more reasonable illustration. If I have faith that the airplane is going to fly, I'll get on it, right? If I don't have faith, I won't. James tells us that. We won't read the whole passage. You know it. Faith without deeds is dead. You can say you have faith, but if you don't act on that faith, then you really don't have faith. That's what faith is. Faith is enough assurance, enough foundation in what I hope for to actually step out and do it and act upon it. That's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith says, I believe this enough that I'm going to act upon it. And you can tell, you can tell what someone really believes by how they act. If I said to you, for example, someone has placed a bomb in the building that's going to go off in two minutes. If you had faith that I was telling you the truth, you would act accordingly. Some of you would, would get up. You would run. You would go grab your children. You would run to the building. You would try to shuttle other people out. You would, you would clear the doors, open the paths. Some of you would sit there and look at me like you are the biggest idiot on the planet, and then you would get blown to bits. But if you have faith in something, you'll act on it. It's a contradiction of terms to say that I have faith in something and not do anything about it. That's what faith, that's what biblical faith is. And I want to apply this now to healing. And I want to do this sensitively because it's never my intent to try to disparage anybody else. But as it relates to what I really believe God wants to do through us, I think it's important to say this. And, and that is that there are, in the world today, many, many, many Christians and many, many churches who will say, if you ask them, we believe, I believe that God can heal. I really do. I believe that God can heal people. But they never, ever pray for anybody to get better. And to me, that says something. If we have faith and we believe that God can do that, then... We act upon it. We say, then, then what we're going to do is we're going to pray for people when they're not well and ask God to heal them. And like I said last week, and if they don't get well, then what we'll do is we'll pray for them again. And if they don't get well that time, then we'll pray for them again. And there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no fault in that. If we have to pray 700 times 70, we'll keep praying and asking God to do that. So biblical faith, faith to heal, kingdom faith is a substantial reality. Faith motivates us to act. And so, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I I believe he paid for us all. And I will act accordingly in my life, right? I will live my life based on that. 
The second verse says, I believe he's here now, standing in our midst with the power to heal and the grace to forgive. So I will act accordingly. I will believe and I have faith that God is here with the power to heal and the grace to forgive. And we will continue to press into God's presence and do all we can to walk in his kingdom and pray for those that need healing. Yes, sir. Please. Please. It's two weeks in a row I went over. I'm not going to promise not to do it again. But I do want to just take a minute tonight and close in prayer. And I want to pray this. I'm going to invite our ministry team to come up to the front. And we'll pray up here because um, we'll, we'll dismiss quickly. And if people need to leave, they can leave. But I'll just drop stuff in the meantime. Um, this is what I'd like to pray for tonight. I, I just want to pray for faith. If you have doubt and the doubt has become overwhelming, if you've been consumed by that, it, it doesn't have to relate to healing. Maybe there's doubt for things in your life that you've trusted or believed God to do and he's not done. Maybe you're just struggling with all of this. You go, I don't know if I buy any of that. Whatever the case. If you'd like prayer for faith tonight, I'd invite you to come up. And these wonderful people up here have faith. I know that. And they would love to pray for you and pray with you. So just, Jesse will close us in a little bit of worship. And as we worship, if you want prayer, just come up. And obviously, if you want.